3: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek.
1: And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, we can't ignore what's been happening across the other side of the pond, of course. Uh, We still don't know who the new US president is. We will be talking about that with the former ambassador uh, in Washington, Nigel Scheinwald. Um, And we'll be getting a sense, I suppose, of what it means for the UK. But really, what's in most people's minds today, of course, is this is the first proper day, I guess... Of the shutdown for most people, pubs, restaurants, non-essential shops shut now for four weeks as England's second national lockdown starts. Police stepping up patrols to deal with those not abiding by the rules as people are told to stay at home to try to stop the spread of COVID-19.
3: Yep, back at it, Roger. Day one of 28, the 2nd of December, is when all of this is set to end. I mean, this has been a point of contention for a few days. We've had the question asked many times uh, when lockdown will end, whether it will be extended. Here is what the Justice Secretary, Robert Buckland, had to say this morning. You can't rule anything out of this crisis, and the Prime Minister has said that from day one. You know, this is one of those moments where, sadly, we've had to slam the brakes on. But we believe that having this longer period will do a lot to minimise the risk of having further stop-start lockdowns, which I think could be more disruptive.
1: Right, let's bring in Joey Jones, uh, Senior Counsel at PR Consultancy Grayling, former spokesperson, of course, for the Prime Minister Theresa May. Uh, Joey, welcome to the programme. Um, First of all, on this lockdown, we were expecting... A, a pretty big rebellion. In the end it wasn't a very huge one exactly but from fairly prominent people uh, people who in many cases have been staunch supporters
4: of the government.
1: Do you think the government's going to be that concerned about the issues with its own backbenchers? Uh,
4: yes I think they, they will be uh, concerned about it. Partly as you say because these are uh, reflective of a, a, a wider discontent within the uh, Conservative Party right at the moment. Frankly most uh, disgruntled Conservative MPs recognised that there was not much in it for them to, to rebel in the with uh, the Labour Party uh, supporting the lockdown, uh, there was never going to be um, uh, any chance of actually uh, overturning the government's majorities. It was if you like a, a sort of a symbolic rather than um, a uh, significant uh, legislatively significant gesture that they were making but there is no doubt that uh, a lot of Conservative MPs are very grumpy about the direction of travel, uh, and even more Conservative MPs are very worried about the grip uh, that the uh, government has on uh, what is happening because clearly they are being buffeted hither and thither uh in terms of their response uh to uh uh, to covid uh and uh i i think for any close observer and uh and supporter of the the prime minister as uh, you know his own parliamentarians clearly are uh they must be uh, they are very worried about the situation
3: and Joe, looking ahead then, the next big flashpoint is after December the 2nd, if the government decides it wants to renew these measures, and if it does that, it has to get consent from Parliament, what sort of a response would you expect from, uh, from MPs if that came to pass?
4: I think the interesting thing in that dynamic was would be that in effect Boris Johnson would have to go with a sort of begging bowl to Keir Starmer, which would be difficult, would, which would be uncomfortable, but he would need to be saying. To the uh, opposition leader, in a way that has not come naturally. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, to uh, the prime minister, look, we have to work together uh, on this in in the national interest. Now, clearly, we have seen with you know classic adversarial UK politics and uh, events like Prime Minister's Questions uh, yesterday, the two leaders uh, at, uh, at loggerheads uh, on uh, on many of these issues, and obviously calling out what, the, what one another's perceived mistakes. But I think the only way that Boris Johnson could really effectively see off uh, the resentment and the uh, and, and the disquiet within his uh, uh, own side, if there is a need for further draconian measures, would be to try to try to bring uh, the Labour Party on side.
1: Perilously close, though, you know, to um, a government of national unity, almost a coalition. I mean, some people have been talking about that. Uh,
4: there has been some talk of that, and look, I mean, I think that. If we're in a situation where um, COVID remains a grave national, you know, a crisis for many months, then I don't think you should rule anything out. Uh, the hope on the part of Boris Johnson and his colleagues is that obviously a vaccine rides to the rescue and we return to some sort of some sort of normality in in the spring. But, of course, you and I recall that he made a speech back in, what was it, June, I think, where he was saying that he anticipated that we would have beaten the virus by Christmas. So he has not been able to follow through on that sort of rhetoric. And ultimately, uh, if we are in this for the long haul, and fingers crossed, t- touch wood and all the rest of it, that, that, that we're not, but, that we, that, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel. But if we are in it for the long, the long haul, I, I really don't think you should rule anything out.
3: Yeah, and and what about? Um, I mean, I was interested to see what Theresa May and Peter Bone had to say about the uh, the dissenting view yesterday, and they raised concerns around the data behind the decision. Do, do you think there is something to be said there? Is there a valid point to be made around the decision making, and whether it's sort of slightly backwards in terms of they've come up with a solution and then they're looking for ways to justify it retrospectively?
4: Um, I. I think that uh, that clearly there is, it's very complex data, uh, and yet there are times where we see the government imposing specific measures that just seem to fly in the face of uh, our own Uh, sort of day-to-day experience. I mean, take, for example, you know, like the hospitality industry, which is bearing the brunt of a lot of the most draconian uh, restrictions. I think that many of us, when we go out, you know, to a a pub or a restaurant or a cafe or whatever, we see that they have gone to incredible lengths to try to make it a a safe environment. And indeed, it does feel like a a, a safe environment. So I think that one wonders, you know, where is that, what is the specific scientific rationale are behind that. And I think that the government has not adequately communicated in the round some of the scientific reasoning behind, uh, behind the complex decisions that they're taking. Having said that... I mean, Steve Baker, who was viewed as one of the very likely sceptics, he went into Downing Street and was given a scientific, uh, uh, you know, briefing on the reason why a new lockdown that he was going to clearly was not going to be happy about was was required, and uh, he came out uh, of of Downing Street somewhat sort of uh, ashen-faced about uh, about what he had what he'd been told. So, I mean, clearly, you know, the picture, whether it be anecdotal or robustly scientific, is pretty grim at the moment.
1: Now, I'm sure, as I have, you've noticed, uh, Joey, that the overlap between people like certainly Peter Bowen, not Theresa May, obviously, um, but 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 uh, Baker and various others, in the group most opposed, it seems, to what the government is doing is also the same group that is the hardest of hard Brexiteers, historically. And we are moving into an interesting moment regarding Brexit. Do you see a kind of overlapping of all this, in a way, as we move into the final, clearly very difficult stages of the Brexit negotiations?
4: Well, Nigel Farage does, doesn't he? Because he's, uh, you know, he's tilting his own, you know, party towards being a sort of... We're trying to create a sort of anti-lockdown movement. Uh, I think that where there is an overlap uh, ideologically... Uh, is not so much on, on Brexit but on the sort of libertarian um, ideology that many of those, that, that a good chunk of these sort of firm Brexiteers uh, hold to uh, and, and, and indeed, you know, in many respects that, that Nigel Farage shares uh, as well. So it's, it, it is, you know, you, you're, you're right, there definitely is an overlap uh, there but I don't think it's based on uh, opposition to Brussels as, uh, as such or a desire to cling to you know UK uh, sovereignty but about some of the other shared values uh, within that particular cohort.
3: It's so interesting to see how these uh, opposition groups to the Prime Minister are splintered definitely a piece in that. Um, Joey I've got to continue asking me about about Brexit we've got negotiators breaking them with no signs of progress Uh, should we be concerned now what are we the 5th of November We, we know we need something by the middle of the month?
4: We should be concerned, and I'm sure we are concerned uh, about it. And it still feels, you know, as though it's the same. It's the same issues. I have always felt, though, as I'm sure you know, many observers of the process uh, would that you know it's all it's either all going to move at once or it's not. Um, and uh, you know, to, to be frank, we know that uh, it's going to take uh, political investment and engagement at the top level. Uh, and Boris Johnson has been just a bit preoccupied this week. I mean, he couldn't go along for example, he said he, d- he couldn't make it along to the CBI conference for his regular slot on the, on, a, on the Monday morning because he just had too much on his plate with the, uh, with the lockdown restrictions that, and uh, the parliamentary statement that he was due to make uh, in the afternoon. So it's not entirely surprising uh, that some of that you know, top level political uh, engagement and, and investment uh, has been lacking, but at some point they're going to have to make a choice. Are they going to go for it or are they going
1: to walk away? Joey, talking of choices, and very briefly, if you would, because we're running out of time, would you be advising Boris Johnson to pick up the phone to Joe Biden right now?
4: Uh, I think Joe Biden probably has more things to do than uh, answer, um, uh, answer foreign leaders but at some point clearly if, if he becomes prime minister then uh, they will be flooding in and you know what it's like you remember there's always a race who's the first foreign leader that Joe Biden speaks to and of course it may, may well not be Boris Johnson and people will read all sorts of things uh, into that as I'm sure your, your next guest will, will know better than I do
3: Let's see what else we're talking about in the world of politics. We start with Brexit. We covered it a little bit with Joey a moment ago. Negotiators from both sides warning of big disagreements after two weeks of intense round-the-clock talks. they failed to yield any sort of breakthrough, so they're going to start their final round of scheduled talks over that future trade partnership this weekend in London, less than two weeks away now from the self-imposed deadline uh, that they had confirmed to reach deal. The UK and the EU still at loggerheads over three issues there, fishing, the play- level playing field and how Any accord is enforced, and no movement on these, Roger.
1: No, also we're being told. I think there's an element of theatre going on here, but perhaps I'm being very sceptical. Meanwhile, Bank of England has slashed its estimates for economic growth, saying they now expect a contraction in the fourth quarter. Policymakers said the risk outlook remains to the downside, with unemployment due to peak in the second quarter of next year. Uh, The Bank of England's announced a bigger-than-expected £150 billion boost to its bond-buying programme. Now, that takes its asset purchase target to an eye-watering 875 billion pounds.
3: Yeah, very accommodative uh, sounding Bank of England this morning. Surely many will be pleased about that. And then getting back to the pandemic, an inquiry is underway into why lower paid health and social care workers from ethnic minorities are at greater risk from the virus. So, the Equality and Human Rights Commission says it's going to examine long standing entrenched racial inequalities that leave them disproportionately affected. People from black, Asian, and other ethnic minority groups are twice as likely as white people to be infected. And they're also more likely to need intensive care and to die from the virus so big equal inequalities being felt as this pandemic plays out roger
1: indeed and talking of inequality there's clearly a feeling that the north of england is not being treated in the same way as the rest of the country a group of business leaders are calling for metro mayors in the north of england to be given the power to take their areas out of virus restrictions if the measures aren't working this proposal came in a letter to boris johnson it backs demands from northern research group of tory mps for a roadmap out of lockdown and a plan for economic recovery from the area. The signatories include executives from Manchester and Leeds, Bradford Airports, Yorkshire Energy, William Hill and the Co-op Group.
3: Yeah, I'm sure Boris Johnson would be delighted to see that the, the tussling goes on between Westminster and the North, politically sensitive area for him, given the manifesto he stood on back in 2019. But let's leave Westminster, let's head west and talk about the US. The election is on the brink of coming to an end. Joe Biden uh, set to take the White House, it seems, after he won Michigan and wisconsin but the race is far from settled after the president's team opened legal fights to stop vote counting in at least two states so the British government has been very careful to avoid any sign of taking sides or commenting we heard from the Justice Secretary Robert Buckland who said that he hopes any resolution is swift so for more on all of this we're pleased to be joined by Sir Nigel Scheinwald the former UK ambassador to the US. Uh, Sir Nigel I'm keen first of all just to get your take on everything we've seen so far much closer than many expected this vote does that tally with with what you were seeing?
2: No, absolutely. It, it's much closer than expected. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's because of prejudice, particularly on our part. We all rely on the media and on the pollsters who guide the media, and they have once again underestimated um, Donald Trump. I mean, there's something about the methodology which doesn't get his base or uh, doesn't capture the enthusiasm which then um, which then leads to increased turnout. I think there's also um, a, a problem, and we've seen it in British elections too, about um, just not capturing surges in the last stages of an election. Um, You know, the fact is that Trump campaigned amazingly vigorously uh, in the last few weeks after he had COVID, um, and that seems to have had an effect, a galvanising effect, not just on his base but on others as well. Um, And you've had this very interesting turnaround over the past month or so that um, Americans uh, in exit polls on Tuesday were saying that the biggest issue for them was the economy, not coronavirus. Now, my my take on that would be that when they talk about the economy, they're talking about their fears for, for jobs and for their uh, livelihood uh, as a result of um, the, uh, the the pandemic. Um, but, of course, it, it, it's a slightly different tilt on that. And it's one that probably did favour Donald Trump, given that he's been seen throughout his presidency as managing um, the economy of the United States reasonably well. So I think all those factors um, have played out in the result, but the result nevertheless um, looks like being the one that people have been predicting throughout this year. Biden's had a remarkably stable lead all the way through the year. The problem in the opinion polls was suggesting that was a big lead, which was going to lead to a change in the Senate as well. And that doesn't look like it's um, going to happen. And, uh, And as we've seen from the fact that several races, even on the Thursday after the election, are still in play. Um, the fact is that the races themselves between Trump and Biden have been very, very much closer than, um, than, 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 than planned than anticipated. And that-
1: and that, indeed, that the main race, of course, is still in play, right, as we speak, even though there are indications. And one of the issues I think that a lot of people we've been speaking to are concerned about is the reaction of Donald Trump to this position, that he seems to be encouraging his supporters to believe that this is a fraud, that this is a, 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 not an election, that in fact, should be respected as to its result. And there are people out there we've seen this morning in Arizona who have guns, who support him, who perhaps are looking a little more um, militant than perhaps one might hope. Is this a real potential problem going forward?
2: Well, it seemed a potential problem and has seemed a potential problem for some time. And I suppose one good thing is that um, the fear that um, some of those vigilante groups might come out and um, uh, be present at polling stations I don't think that happens, certainly not at scale uh, on Tuesday. It's very alarming, these um, uh, occasional um, flare-ups that have been seen over the past couple of days. I think there was something in, uh, in Michigan. You mentioned another case in Arizona. I think that would cause huge consternation, not just in the United States, but around, but around the world. But that is the Trump way. He, he throws the, the cards in the air and um, doesn't always uh, care as much as he about, should about where they fall. He's keeping his options open. He's trying to create this this mood of uncertainty, doubt, and and even fear in some respects. Um, so, I, um, but this is his way, and it, it's not the way I think that most politicians would behave. They would have a respect for the um, for the normal constitutional um, practices. Um, but he is obviously trying to trying to hang on. Uh, I think that um, I've listened to a lot of American lawyers on the airwaves over the past twenty four hours. I think that as you as you see the shape of biden's victory emerging in these battleground states, it doesn't look as if um the legal challenges um uh, you know w- which might which might affect a small number of votes are necessarily going to change the outcome because the it looks as though um he's winning by larger amounts for example than um than Trump did last time in those in those um uh, midwestern states so we'll have to see um but um but of course that um, that possibility of violence and of intimidation uh, is there. It's something the president um, should have done more about and shouldn't have found. Um, but um, w- w- one hopes it can be kept in, uh, under control.
3: Uh, and so, Nigel, if Biden takes this, have we seen the end of uh, President Trump or of Donald Trump, rather, in, uh, in public life in a meaningful way?
2: I don't know. I mean, that that ultimately will depend on him. I don't think there's going to be Trumpism in the sense of a generation of people who are going to carry forward his uh, his views, ideology, whatever it is, because Trumpism depends on Donald Trump. And I, I think once he once he goes, some of the things that he has um, successfully um, advocated and um, and uh, and uh, uh, represented, I suppose, over the past few years, will carry on. Um, others will try to. Copy this uh, um, uh, this new style of populism, um, this continuous communication. I think that you know there are um, ways in which other politicians may try to use the Trump copybook um, playbook in some in some respect. But I don't think that there's a there's a lasting um, you know version of Trump politics which will go on. So I think, um, but I would I, I'd rather doubt that after the degree of exposure he's had as president and as a candidate before that, that he'll simply go back to playing golf privately and uh, sitting up in Trump Tower. I I expect he will intervene Um, and maybe not uh, uh, as irregularly as is the norm among American presidents who who tend by and large to give their successors a fair amount of leeway and not get uh, uh, involved in the crosshairs after they've been president. But I think Trump may be a bit different.
1: Yes, Barack Obama even did that with Donald Trump to some extent, of course. But I mean, one thing: what, how is he going to reflect this side of the Atlantic? Because one kind of wonders, I suppose, whether Boris Johnson would rather, in fact, have a, another four years of Donald Trump, um, given that potential relations with President Biden might not be so good. Your one of your successors, perhaps, uh, rather infelicitously, Kim Darroch uh, said that what was being said in the embassy in in Washington when he was there was that uh, Joe Biden was past his best, and even his best wasn't that good. <laughs>
2: Well, look, I mean, I think that um, it's not we we unfortunately can't choose the American presidents we want. And um, and, uh, you you know, um, and and it was absolutely right um, that uh, the British government has not taken sides publicly in all this. I think they will. You They 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 have a short and a long term issue in the short run. There's no doubt that if you're sitting in Downing Street, in a way, it's easier. Um, It's less hassle um, uh, if, if Donald Trump is returned on this. Um, uh, now totemic issue of the US-UK free trade agreement, Um, that will be simpler with Trump. We know Trump supports it. Um, The negotiations will resume after the election. They will be very difficult and fraught, Um, but um, that will go on, and I'm sure we'll reach a conclusion. Um, But in the long run, over the four years of a second Trump presidency, frankly, there are huge numbers of problems for Britain. Britain, after Brexit, above all, needs a a calm, and productive atmosphere of world trade. It needs world trade to expand. That's very unlikely to happen with President Trump, who you know is forever attacking um, world trade and creating uh, tension and reducing the volume of uh, of trade internationally. Um, and I think, as a as, as a close ally of the United States, the the UK has been discomforted on many occasions by President Trump's disregard for um, for allies, going it alone, looking after American interests. No one no one objects to America yeah. looking after its own interests, but doing so without any regard to others. So Prose- I think in the in, in the long run it's not going kind to of be easy. With with Biden, it's the other way around.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state